0: Another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces today. We are doing an archive revive. We are going to bring back our chat with Paula Finlay. We thought it was the perfect opportunity uh, to bring that podcast episode back to your earholes holes uh, because... In case you have been living under a rock, Paula just won the PTO Champs in Challenge Daytona, uh, and she's cruising all the way home to Canada with a sweet little 100000 well I shouldn't say little, a massive $100,000 uh, paycheck, you know, the big massive cardboard paychecks. Anywho, um, in all of our race coverage and wrap-ups, we talked a lot about her career and the ups and downs, and we cover this best in our chat, which just so happened to be about 12 months ago, because in this episode, she talks about how she just got back from the Daytona event that she won last year. So don't let that confuse you. Uh, So we're bringing it back, so please enjoy our chat 12 months ago with the recent PTO Champ, Challenge Daytona champion, Paula Finlay. Oh, hello. We we are chatting with the very lovely Paula Finlay. W- welcome to the Wits Up podcast.
1: Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> it is a pleasure. I was uh just going back through uh the Wits Up website earlier. Uh, and trying to suss out uh, what articles we've done on you, um, you know, that aren't always race specific. And I think we haven't actually had a proper chat since 2000 and it was 14 or 15, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I was in Australia around that time. So maybe yeah, I was right. doing news or something.
0: Oh, yes, you had just done –
1: did you finish
0: second,
1: third, second? Yeah, I think I was second behind Ashley. feels like a long time ago now, but um, 2014 I was there, so that was the last time I was in Australia and probably the last time we chatted, yeah.
0: Yeah, and Ash is still winning that race, even though it feels like it was such a long time ago.
1: (laughs) I know, it's crazy. It's amazing. (laughs)
0: Um, Now, we were just having a bit of a chat uh, prior to hitting record, and currently you're sort of in between um, homes and races and Christmas, and fill me in, where are you at at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'm currently in Portland, which is um, where my boyfriend Eric has a house, so we kind of make this our home base and travel all over the place, so I just got back from daytona beach doing the challenge daytona race and prior to that um indian wells so we've been away for about three weeks at races and tomorrow i head home to canada edmonton which is like my home home where my family lives for christmas break so a little bit in transit here and full on and off season now we got new carpets in our house today we bought a new tv we're just like catching up on everything that has uh been sliding because we've just been training so it's uh you know, catching up on real life stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Getting new carpet, that's extremely grown up.
1: It is, but we... Eric bought this house last year and it needed new carpet desperately and I was really lobbying for it. But when you get a new house, it's so overwhelming, the amount of stuff you have to buy. So financially we were just like prioritizing and carpet unfortunately wasn't at the top of the list but um since we both made a bit of money at the last couple races we decided to go for it and uh don't regret it it makes it feel like a new house so it's pretty cool i love it
0: (laughs) triathlon prize money going towards uh carpets in professional triathletes houses Uh, from here on in that's what you're saving up for
1: (laughs) right like Uh, 30 (laughs)
0: yeah 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 um so who who out of the two of you um and I'm gonna take a stab at this because I feel like Eric is the is a creative person just based on his uh photography and and videography is he a bit of the interior designer or does that come down to you more
1: Um, In terms of like the house and furniture and making it like a nice space, I'm, I'm the person that's more inclined to do that. Um, Eric's very much more artistic in terms of like his videos and his photography. But um, in terms of having an eye, he says it's like a little bit more of a girl thing to be able to like make a room (laughs) look nice. So that's kind of been my job. And it's a, it's a work in progress. Like I said, when we got this house last year, there was we had no furniture, neither of us, because we've never owned a place before. So really started from scratch and have slowly been kind of adding to it and making it nice. But the the other thing is we're not here all year. We're only here maybe four or five months of the year. So we don't want to make it too nice because it's too (laughs) hard to leave. So, Oh,
0: absolutely. So do you do you get on board the whole like Airbnb thing when you're out of town? Or is it strictly for you guys?
1: No, actually, Eric's sister lives with us, Elise. She's Ah. actually just got her pro card. So she's done a couple of pro races this year. And um, she works full time in Oregon. So she kind of has the basement. It's a three-level house. She has the downstairs, shares the kitchen. And um, yeah, so she's here while we're away, which is really nice because she can, you know, hold down the fort, make sure it is safe and our bikes are safe. And um, so, yeah, it works out really well. She's always here.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, interesting, living with your boy- boyfriend, right? Yeah, no, yeah, we're not married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, well, I know you're not married, but I was like, wait, have I missed an engagement announcement or anything? Oh, sorry sorry <laughs> to balk for, for a second then. And sorry, uh, Eric, for even mentioning that. I like There's no pressure from, from my end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, do, you, do you get asked those questions by, oh, especially this time of year, do you get asked those questions by family?
1: Um, a little bit, like we've been together for two years now and we act married. We, yeah. you know, it's like, we're pretty much married in terms of, yeah. um, how we live our life. So it's, uh, it would make things easier in terms of citizenship a little bit. Like I could get my green card oh. pretty easily. And that's a little bit of an obstacle that we face every year because I'm Canadian and need to be home for half the year. So, um, yeah, that's right. the biggest reason it wouldn't change much in terms of our relationship, but, um, yeah. Yeah, just kind of waiting. It's not <laughs> not fully up to me, so um, we'll see. I Maybe mean, that's for- the perfect reason to get married, right?
0: For a green card,
1: I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's definitely a perk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so I always forget. Um, I don't forget that you're Canadian, but I forget that it's um that you do have to consider those kind of things when you're when you're traveling. I just do, I don't. I do know that there's a difference, but I just always assume when you're in North America that, you know, you can go in and out of and go to different races with no sort of real issues. But I guess that is always something that you need to consider when you are travelling.
1: Yeah, definitely. It it, it is easier for Canadians than someone that's European or Australian or something. We can stay in the U.S. for six months on a visitor visa. And I know a lot of triathletes get um, athlete visas, like professional athlete visas to allow them to stay longer. But I've always kind of been able to balance my year so that I spend six months um, at home, either in Kelowna or in Cam or somewhere when it's in the warmer months in Canada. So I don't know. I've been able to make it work. It's quite expensive yeah. to get a to get a professional athlete visa and you have to have um, a lawyer help you. So just been a bit intimidated oh, wow. by the whole process and just decided to make it work with, with splitting my time because I do love Canada. I like being up there and training up there. and um, Yeah it's not like I'm, it's not really forced upon me. Like I do, I do enjoy it up there. So, um, just something we need to consider every year and work into our plans. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, okay. So as you know, this podcast isn't necessarily about triathlon, but we, we're going (laughs) to touch on it a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think it's fair to say like your, your career has been, Extremely interesting to watch. You've—I uh, think it's fair to say that you've probably had the roller coaster career with the biggest ups and downs and curveballs and 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 whatnot. Do it, it, Do you think that's a fair sort of summation?
1: I think so. In terms of like the trajectory of my career, like it started mm-hmm. at a really big high when I was quite young, and yeah, then faced a bunch of struggles and have had to kind of um, re rebuild myself uh so to speak in terms Mm. of like performance and just making this a sustainable career now that i'm 30 so yeah Yeah. it's been a little bit backwards and um a lot of people are surprised that i'm still even doing it like um people in edmonton who followed my career when i was going to the olympics and ranked number one in the world and they hear that I just wanted a half Ironman and they're like what she's still doing triathlon that's crazy so it's such a long time that I've been in this and without break and although it looks like I took a big break in the middle or didn't race or whatever I've been trying all along to get back to having good performances so yeah yeah, very very roller coaster type career I'd say
0: (laughs) so remind me how old you were when you uh I guess burst
1: onto the scene I think I was 20 years old when I won my first WTS race. That was in yeah. Um, 2010. Yeah.
0: So, so so at 20 years of age, you've – like I, I almost compare it to, you know, like a, a, a child actor who all of a sudden has uh, all this attention on them, all this, I guess, expectation and hopes of your country, you know, going into the Olympics and everything. So there's all this um, – and correct me if I'm wrong – But all this pressure on on such a a young person uh, who hasn't fully grown into themselves as as a human being yet, Um, Mm -hmm. and we saw you struggle with you know injuries or whatnot after that, Um, as a thirty year old now, which is still you know you're not over the hill like still pretty young, Mm -hmm. but do you feel like you've you've learnt so much about yourself that and. And and some of those things that you have learned about yourself, you wish you knew when you were twenties to be able to handle that. Even like, and I'm talking about the highs as well as the lows.
1: Yeah, I actually gave a keynote talk at my swim my old swim club in Edmonton a couple of months ago, and talking to a room full of sixteen year old kids who are kind of at the beginning of when they're going to start qualifying for Olympic trials and things like that. And part of yeah. my message to them was. What are five things that I wish I had known when I was your age? And that's kind come of on. when I was bursting onto the scenes. And now, as a 30 year old looking back, what would I have done differently? And my main message would think was um, knowing when to step back and take a break. And that was something yeah. I wasn't very good at. And when an injury did come on, I would push through it and to the point where I had, like, I was forced to stop <laughs> instead of just kind of backing off when things started to get bad or felt an injury coming on and so I think it just ultimately prolonged all of the injuries that I that I did have especially around the time of the London Olympics Um, I was just scared too scared to take a break and um, felt like I was invincible a little bit because I had just come off this streak of winning a bunch of races so um, that's like the main thing sort of that I've taken into my career now is I I'm not scared to take a day off running if I need to and Ultimately, that'll lead to less missed days of training and less missed races. Um, obviously, it's still hard to adjust things. I just want to keep training hard every day, but um, I've rec- I know my body is pretty injury prone and fragile, and um, I just kind of adapt my training with that in mind. So that's yep. the biggest lesson I think.
0: So in, in saying that, um, and I'm not trying to pass the blame or anything, but you know you're you're a young athlete uh you're going through the the system in terms of um your uh triathlon canada mm-hmm. um you know you're working closely with coaches um i i assume psychologists um you know there should be a team around you yeah. how much you know and and obviously I don't want to get you into any trouble or anything but how much do you feel like you wished you had a little bit more support or you felt uh, maybe more confident in speaking out and saying things don't feel right or you know and I might be completely mis misjudging the situation but
1: um, what yeah. what's your well sorry th- you go no I think it was almost the opposite it was that I had too much support um, in terms right. of lots of people wanting to give their two cents because I was such a rising star and a metal hope for Canada so Everyone kind of right. wants to be on the bandwagon when things are going really well and take a bit of credit for your success. And as soon as things go sideways, everyone kind of steps back and doesn't want to take any responsibility for it. So I was 20. Interesting. I was seeing like maybe three different doctors, two different physios, speaking to several sports psychologists. And it, I had all of the sport support and funding I could ever want because... Um, because I was a medal hope. So I was basically like Triathlon Canada's targeted athlete. And all of the funding was like, whatever I need to get a medal, I could I could have. So to a point that was too overwhelming. And I don't blame Not. any one of them. I, I appreciated all of their expertise, but I think what I should have done was just kept a smaller circle of people that I trusted. And like a, one coach, one doctor, one physical therapist, and um, just use that as my like, circle of of trust instead of um expanding and searching for answers and going to see a bunch of different physical therapists to to solve this injury problem that i had when ultimately i just needed to take a month off or something so right yeah it's a very different world when you're when you're doing well and have had success and a federation just has so much resources to support you versus when things aren't going well and all of that disappears pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, right. Yeah, kind of interesting.
0: um, yeah, right. Okay. That's, that's super interesting. Um, so, okay. So now when things start to go well and you, uh, you know, recently you've won two races in a row in yeah over a week, was that right? Yeah.
1: Seven yeah, days apart. Yeah. they were back back-to-back weekends, which is, I've never done that before for this distance, but, uh, worked really yeah. well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do you draw upon, I guess, uh, looking back at those things that you learned, um, and really try and, uh, put things in place, um, particularly when you are doing well, um, like you say, learning about yourself and when, when you need to take a rest.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I, um, don't have as big of a network of people that I, that I work with. I have a coach obviously who I trust and have good communication with. And Eric helps me a lot now with a lot of the, you know, social media side of sport and just like complete support. He's my training partner and then um, have one physical therapist that I see. So yeah, it's a smaller group of people and I found that works well. And part of that is necessary because I don't have all the, funding and support and dollars to you know build a huge group of (laughs) of people around me but um I think it works really well and I mean this year hasn't been totally smooth I have had lots of injuries and not go races but finishing on a high like this gives me some confidence that I did something right the last three months so
0: yeah yeah absolutely Merry Christmas for sure (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. My mom said that's her first present <laughs> me having a couple of good races. So
0: <laughs> Aww, that was funny. that's sweet. I mean
1: she's um it's in sorry.
0: <laughs> no no no, you go. I,
1: I was just gonna say she's like ridden these highs and lows with me even more they affect her even more than me almost. She's like been there through oh. it all. So it is nice like for me to have a good race and her to, you know, be a part of that is kinda cool. <laughs> Oh, well, now that
0: I've uh, had a child, even though she's only 16 months old and mm. I'm, you know, not anticipating her racing professional triathlon or anything, <laughs> but I can, I can totally appreciate a mother's, um, I don't know, need and want to, you know, be a part of what you're going through and wanting to protect you from. You know those the, the times when things aren't going well, um, and then almost protect you as well when things are going really well. And you know, mm-hmm. I, like I can I can really appreciate a mother's connection uh, in that respect for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. She's um, always supported my decision to con- continue to compete and do triathlon, but there have been times de- over the last decade where she's like nudging me to go back to school or go to medicine or you know something another career path that's more typical <laughs> than this, especially yeah, when, right. like ultimately yeah. she just wants me to be happy. And there's been a lot of times through my career where I'm really not happy. And, um, perhaps making a change at those times would have, you know, led to something completely different, but triathlon does ultimately bring me happiness, especially when I have good races like I just did. So <laughs> that she's yeah, she's yeah, happy of course. To see that. So, Yeah.
0: So is she? Uh, well, clearly, you're both you're very close. Is she, you know, one of your direct uh, lines? Uh, you know, at the end of a race, or you know, she's someone that you confide in uh, quite frequently.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I talk to my mom probably at least every other day, and my dad as well. But yeah, right. mostly my mom. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of funny though because they don't watch my races anymore or really follow them because it's too stressful for her so (gasps) I called her after Daytona and I was like I won the race and she honestly like didn't even know that I was racing at that time (laughs) she knew I was racing that day but she didn't like realize it was such a weird time that started at 4.30 in in the evening and uh, so obviously she's like very supportive very happy but just doesn't like the stress of the potential of me not doing well and being really sad because she's had so many phone calls after races where I'm just disappointed and upset so yeah it's like kind of a weird thing I'm like why weren't you following but um in the end because she's super supportive and I I talk to her all the time so
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. do you think that will change do you think she might get back into watching
1: uh yeah I mean she comes to races sometimes she's not like totally opposed to it it's just the yeah the, the like watching the live tracker when it's not really refreshing very quickly and things like that oh. <laughs> It can be nerve wracking for a mom, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, she's actually like very involved in triathlon. She's the competition manager for the WTS in Edmonton. So ah. her whole world also is triathlon and organizing this event and the grand finals in Edmonton this year for, for 2020. So she's like, you know, nose deep in triathlon every single day and just um, in in a different way than I am, but totally understands the sport.
0: (laughs) Wow. So is she the reason you got into triathlon?
1: No, she, I'm the reason she got into
0: triathlon. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, she got the connections and um, slowly just started like volunteering to the point where she got this big role with the WTS Edmonton, but um she's definitely the reason I got into sport and into swimming and into running yeah and that kind of um translated into triathlon eventually but she was now she wasn't a triathlete before or anything
0: yeah right oh but she's a triathlete now mm-hmm.
1: uh she's done some triathlon since I started but um Yay. her big sport is rowing she was a national level rower and still does that all the time, even in the winter in Edmonton. So <laughs> that's her favorite thing. Really? Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> so when you're rowing in the middle of winter, oh, ha- how do you they- – oh, sorry.
1: It's it's all on the erg in the winter, so it's like the trainer. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow
0: I've got so many questions like when when are the lakes not iced over or, or <laughs> yeah
1: whatever and, and what do you wear <laughs> no the season is uh, short for outdoor rowing but uh yeah okay. what, yeah when it's nice so she does <laughs>
0: Um, I want I, I do I will talk more about your family but I wanted to go back on to something that you mentioned um, and it's essentially around your 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 team so I guess your your inner circle mm-hmm. uh, and again correct me if I'm wrong because um, I mean I know you but I don't know you exceptionally well uh, but it appears to me that you are most comfortable when you are surrounded by your loved ones which um I, I, I mean, I feel like you're a little bit more introverted. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've trained with a lot of different squads. I was on Joel Filial's squad for a couple of years and um, worked with Siri Lindley for a little while. And when I was kind of in those environments without really any close friends and no family around, it was really hard for me. Yeah. Um, My best years, I think, in terms of, like, happiness were when I was in Boulder, Colorado, and I sort of created a good friend group that felt like family there. So I was super happy there and didn't necessarily translate to the best performances in my life or anything, but in terms of just, like, enjoying life and training really well, that was a good place for me to be. So um, being with Eric every day and training with him helps me a lot. I think it, you know is good for my training too. Cause he's faster than me and I'm always kind of pushed to stay with him on rides and in the pool and stuff. So, um, yep. that definitely helps. And in terms of the introvert thing, I am not super outgoing, but Eric started this vlog thing with us that, <laughs> that's been going on now for a couple <laughs> months. And I've sort of, he has his camera out all the time and he's talking to it and I'm sort of learning to be more outgoing because people like following our journey and our, yeah. um, like the real life day-to-day stuff that that happens. So, um, the way that I am on camera is not necessarily how I am in real life, just cause it's hard to, to be super happy and positive all the time when there's, when there's camera. But, um, yeah, I'm working on it. I think I can be extroverted when I, when I want to be, but in general, more yeah. quiet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. And the thing is with, in, uh, being introvert versus an extrovert, Uh, like I think it's um, the it's misconceived a a lot an introvert you tend to gather your energy from you know being by yourself and you know in a small group Mm -hmm. Um, but then you it doesn't mean that you can't be out there partying or you know hanging out with people and having heaps of fun you just need that time to step back and um, you know just reboot that way Um, so yeah 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 Oh what was i going to say? Oh, so the whole vlogging and like you say you, you you're trying to learn to be a little bit more open mm-hmm. is is that the i guess from based on the feedback that you've been getting with the videos but also um, what you're learning about yourself what are you actually learning about yourself? Like what are the, some of the key things that you've you've noticed over that time
1: with the introduction of the vlogging? Yeah, I think I don't realize how grumpy I act a lot of the time. (laughs) Honestly, like when we're just training hard and it's kind of cold out, we're on Zwift for three hours and then we're heading to the pool. It's, I can get like, I mean, like any triathlete, kind of grumpy. And Eric, when he catches it on camera and I see my face in those moments, (laughs) I'm like, whoa, take a step back. I need to like enjoy this a little bit more and not just for the camera, but for myself, like it's, it's okay yeah. to, to have fun of it. And so I kind of joked about it in the last vlog, like I'm working on looking less pissed off when Eric pulls the camera out. And it honestly has helped <laughs> with my general like outlook on everything when we're at races and um, he's filming us and we're sort of putting yeah. together these vlogs of our pre-race routine. And we go to a new place and like find the coffee shop, find the swimming pool, find the best, uh, hotel to stay at and like put that into a vlog so that the year after people can look at it and sort of ease their travel if they decide to do that race. So a lot of our like lead into these races have been, um, very like camera heavy, like lots of focus on that. So it's kind of forced me to change around my attitude and be a little bit more positive and happy, just, um, recognizing that that's an important thing, not just for myself, but also for the (laughs) blog.
0: yeah and th- and I'm glad that you said that it's you're not just trying to change yourself because of the vlog, you're actually trying to I guess work on yourself and and realize that you do actually love the sport and love what you're doing mm. um and to I guess uh not take things quite as seriously all the time like things will be okay um yeah,
1: exactly
0: yeah, uh so that that's awesome to hear, <laughs> but i can I can also say you know. On the other hand as well, people really enjoy the authenticity that can come out of a vlog Mm -hmm. like that. Um, It's okay to be a bit cranky. It's okay to, uh, you know, not jump out of bed ready to take on the world. It might take a coffee before you warm (laughs) up and uh, have that attitude. Um, But I think that's uh, one of the key things from doing, you know, vlogs or however it might look is that, you can look within yourself and um, recognize those things that you may be completely oblivious to. And that sounds like what's going on with you.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Like I've never had a – I've never watched a video of myself um,
0: training <laughs> before.
1: So it is funny. But honestly, yeah. all the feedback we've had on it and over the last four weeks, it's kind of like his following has doubled and we'd have like 60,000 views on one of his videos. It's pretty crazy. But all, the, all yeah. of the feedback has been – that people like how real it is. And from what yep. I know, we're the only people that are filming our own vlogs and Eric's doing all the editing himself. It's not like we're hiring someone else to come film us. And it's very curated yep. and perfect. It's like, yep. we just take our little camera and sometimes it's not in focus, but if it's a good moment, we'll put it on the vlog anyway. So it's, um, yeah, it feels very real and he's pretty artistic about like the music choices and he spends hours and hours editing these videos and I can't help much with oh that. But um yeah. it's it is really fun, especially when we do get positive feedback like that. It's uh, sometimes hard to get positive feedback from triathletes, but <laughs> everyone seems to love it. Yeah, them. right. So uh, he, yeah. yeah, we'll keep doing it um as long as we can.
0: <laughs> yeah. How do you respond to negative feedback uh if you Ever get any. and this is not just about the vlogs, but yeah. how do you feel like you respond to, it to whenever it might uh, arise?
1: Uh, I don't ha- get too much negative. I think if if I have a super ridiculous negative comment on Instagram or something, I kind of disregard it. sometimes would delete it just because mm. <laughs> there's not really a need for that, I guess. and it is definitely overridden by the amount of positivity um, that's on Good. Instagram. and I think, it's a very, Instagram is a very like perfect world environment. Like that's (laughs) what our, that's not what our life looks like all the time. Um, yep. And you know, people assume it is, but, uh, that's just kind of like the highlight reel. So the vlog has allowed us uh, to show some of the not so glamorous parts of, uh, of the And in general, it's all been good, good feedback. And it is hard to read negative things, but, um, We're both pretty good at letting it not affect us too much. Like we'll take constructive feedback for sure, but um, negative things are, yeah, usually not not helpful. (laughs) Uh, No. How did you two
0: actually meet?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, we sort of have known each other for a long time just based on racing on the ITU circuit. He was uh, racing for the US, me for Canada. So we knew of each other, but we first started talking at the Beijing International Triathlon in 2017. Um, That's kind of like where we first, I don't know, you're in that race together. Like everyone travels together. Everyone has to go on these tours of China together. And you're kind of like, feel like a big team, even though you're going to race each other two days later. But uh, that's where we first kind of met. And then thanks to like Instagram messaging, we (laughs) kept talking. He came up to Canada to visit me over thanksgiving and yeah just kind of (laughs) happened
0: he slid into your dms
1: (laughs) yeah he literally did
0: (laughs) (laughs) um now thanksgiving in canada is a different time that's usually around kona time i think from memory
1: yeah it's like october and uh about a month earlier before american thanksgiving and it's not as big of a deal as it is here like in in the u.s it's (sighs) It's like Christmas. It feels like it's a full yeah. production. But at least at my house in Canada, we just have like, we have turkey. It's a big uh, dinner, but it's not like a full day event.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, what's the deal with it being so big? But it sounds like Canada is very different to the States because it mm-hmm. just, because in Australia, it's nothing here oh, yeah. at all.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, yeah. It's a very foreign uh, concept to myself. So much so that we announced something uh, on Thanksgiving weekend and Lindsay was like, dude, worst weekend of the year.
1: (laughs) Just because everyone's focused on anything but Thanksgiving. No, it's it's like a big, uh, I mean, Black Friday is a big thing and we went over to Eric's parents at like noon, ate dinner at two, ate more dinner at six. Like it was just a big day of eating delicious
0: food <laughs> so please excuse this very brief interruption if you are digging the content that witsup produces then please consider supporting witsup by becoming a witsup patron member you just need to click the link in the description of this episode or simply jump on patreon.com slash witsup All it will cost you is as little as five US dollars a month. That is, it's a cup of coffee. I mean, it's a big cup of coffee per month, but it's just five US dollars a month if that's the level that you would like to support us on. Also, while we're here, we're having a little bit of a chat. Have you signed up to our WitsUp Weekly Word? It is our weekly e-newsletter, and it's full of great info from a plethora of sources around the globe. So check that out. Just jump onto the website and click e-news, sign up. Alrighty, back to Paula. Um, I want to get back to family, mum and dad. Uh, so... Your mum comes from a rowing background, which translates into cycling pretty well. Is she into cycling?
1: Um, She is a good cyclist, but honestly, she's pretty afraid of riding on the road and in in packs and stuff. And I think I get a little bit of that from her. I'm not super comfortable in cars and not a very good descender, not a very good technical rider. (laughs) I think I get that from her a little bit. So she bike commutes all the time and rides the trainer a lot, but she's not like a racing cyclist or anything but uh you're right though cycling does translate pretty well to power on the bike so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um and then you uh your your dad what's what's his story
1: uh he is a doctor in edmonton and sort of the main reason that i have always had the ambition of being a doctor myself and still kind of do yeah in the back of my mind always um right he's a good athlete. He never really competed super competitively in any sport, but has run like several marathons under three hours. And just, he's kind of like a lean, lanky guy who's, who's a good athlete and always kind of fit. So he's, um, he's a skier. That's his big, his favorite sport is skiing. He's a fabulous skier. So yeah, they're both, they're both athletic and grew up, you know, running and swimming and rowing and everything. But, um, never like pushed me towards being coming an athlete or an Olympic athlete or anything. It was always on our own terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So when you were young, when you, I guess, figured out that triathlon was the direction you wanted to take, was it, you know, along the lines of when I grew up, I want to be an Olympic gold medalist or, <laughs> you know, how, how was that? How did that all pan out?
1: No, I've, I really never, I started swimming when I was 11 um, before that I was dancing like a million hours a week. So doing like ballet and jazz and tap and the whole thing. So ah. I never, never really dreamed of going to the Olympics. And even when I was swimming, I never, I was never good enough to make that even a goal really. Like I was okay provincially, but not ranked nationally or anything. So it wasn't until I started racing triathlon at the junior level in 2016 that I, yeah. Um, made the national team and went to world championships in 2006 as a junior and did pretty well there. So that's sort of when the Olympic ambition was sparked. But it certainly wasn't like as a child when I was a little girl, like wanting to be an Olympic medalist or anything. So,
0: yeah. So so what what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I, can't, I honestly wanted to be a doctor, I think, because of my dad. And I yeah. – um, I don't really remember like when I was a little, little girl, what I wanted to be, but uh, probably something related to dancing since that was what I was so passionate about. But in terms of a job, I always wanted to be a doctor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. So have you still got moves? Do you still know how to dance?
1: (laughs) No, it's kind of embarrassing. Like whenever there's the opportunity for that, my mom thinks she wasted all of those years of driving me to (laughs) dancing because I am a terrible dancer, but – I can still actually like <laughs> tap dance, which is kind of weird. It's just kind of like ingrained in my brain how to do most of the moves or whatever they're called. <laughs> so,
0: I wonder if that movement pattern is just it's just there now like because that's a very distinct kind of movement, right? Isn't it, it is. tap dancing? Yeah, yeah,
1: it's like I don't know, just the way you move your ankles and your feet and um that's something that I'll like Ooh. never really forget. I don't know. I put a pair of tap shoes on, I can do it, but a lot of the other like ballet and jazz just require so much flexibility that I no longer have. So I don't, I'm not very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Tri- triathlon can kind of destroy, uh, flexibility. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I can imagine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I can't imagine, uh, you know, you're, when you're at a party or out of the nightclub or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that you're pulling out any tap dancing moves. No, um, no not really. <laughs> I would, I'd like to see it. Uh, Like you could do it in cleats because you'd get the tapping. So maybe you know, post boat bike ride, you could show off a few moves. That's true.
1: Bike bike Um, shoes are pretty close to tap shoes.
0: (laughs) um, Okay, what kind of doctor is your dad? Uh, He's a
1: brain surgeon, which is not what I wanted to be. Oh
0: (laughs) wow! Do you know? So the first thing that pops into my head is McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy when you say brain surgery. Yeah. Did you ever watch that?
1: I I did watch Grey's and I don't know the characters very well or any of the, the roles, but uh what? Two.
0: But you, you you have to know who McDreamy is, yeah, right? Yeah, I
1: know. I know who he is, yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Like he's only the the main well, not anymore. Um, although I don't, you know, no spoiler alerts in case you want to catch up on 15 years of (laughs) Grey's Anatomy. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay. So brain surgery. So far out. What, what kind of doctor were you imagining or still potentially want to be?
1: Um, I am more interested in like family medicine, although that sounds more boring. I don't really have any interest in being a surgeon, but I think a lot of people that go into medical school don't really know what kind of doctor they want to be until they have a couple of years in med school. Like you go through rotations and figure out what you're interested in. And it could be something that I totally don't even know about, like um, radiology or anesthesiology or something that's kind of obscure, but is still a doctor. So um, don't really know, but I have never really – I mean, I've watched him operate before, and it's never like appealed to me really to do that. It just feels like there's so much at stake, and it's um, that stresses me out a lot. But <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's like performing at the Olympics or whatnot. Kind of, you is. get one chance to do it,
1: right? Except the consequences <laughs> of failure a little higher. A
0: <laughs> little bit life and death situation. Yeah. Right. Um, do Do you remember the the surgery that you watched? Or have you watched quite a bit?
1: No, it's not It's not very common that I would watch it. I think there was like a take your kid to work day when I was in high <laughs> school in or something. And um, most of the surgeries are done with a microscope and then you can see on the big TV screen what's going on. So he's like looking into a microscope and you can kind of see on the screen what he's seeing. So yeah, right. it is, it is fun to watch just uh, from that perspective, like the tiny little movements that he's making but it's all under a microscope so (laughs) yeah it's pretty cool yeah
0: right yeah definitely so anesthesiology has got to be one of the hardest uh titles (laughs) like it's a hard word to say
1: yeah it definitely is and I some people might not even know what that is (laughs) they have a super important job there as far as I know I have a couple friends who are residents in that field and you're basically like monitoring them throughout the surgery to make sure that they stay asleep and making sure they have the right like dosage of drugs to so yeah that's what that's all I know about it they're they're throughout the whole surgery they're the last person you see before you go to sleep before a surgery and first person you see when you wake up so i think they're a little bit behind the yeah. scenes but still like very very critical in in an operation <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah, because you don't want those horror stories of people waking no, up no, sounds- in surgery. <laughs> right, that's the stuff of nightmares. Um. Okay. So you you said that you know this still could be something that um you're you're interested in pursuing. Mm-hmm. So wh- where are you at in terms of study? Are you halfway through, or what else do you need to do to actually complete all the study and become a doctor?
1: Um. Well, I've read. I finished my undergraduate degree with, um, in biology. So I have all the prerequisites for medicine, which are just, you know, there's yeah. a list of like organic chemistry and physics and math and all the things you have to just check all those boxes. So I actually finished that degree in 2017. It took me 10 years to get it cause I was doing it so slowly and taking some semesters off to train for London. And it was a long road, but I got it. So that was a success. Wow. Um, the next step would be writing the MCAT, which is sort of like the admissions, um, test, I guess. And after that, you just apply and do an interview if you get accepted for the interview part and, um, wait and find out. So there's no more schooling I'd have to do directly. I just have to write that exam and then, and then apply. So, wow. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Wow. And it's, um, honestly, in September when I, I got a stress fracture this September and I was sort of at like my final straw of this is enough of triathlon. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to write the MCAT and I was kind of like, got the books, got like the whole thing. So it's always like kind of there, especially when things go sideways in triathlon, it always becomes a thing that I fall back on at least mentally to make me feel better. Like, okay, I have this other thing that I'm super passionate about what I want to do and uh, it'll always be there for me even if I'm 30 so yeah triathlon always wins in the end up to now but uh, it's something I definitely am still considering doing
0: so do you you probably don't but do you know what the future looks like do you have a bit of a plan or while things are going well with triathlon you just you keep ticking along I shouldn't say ticking along keep you know trying to reach your goals Mm. and yeah I shouldn't I I apologize I shouldn't say ticking along (laughs)
1: no I am ticking along it feels like that but I it's really hard (laughs) because I feel like I haven't reached my potential in the 70.3 world yet yeah I switched over fairly recently like I've done it for two years now but haven't had like a really uninterrupted season without injury or anything so it's been great in terms of I've had some great races and some success but it would just kill me to stop now without having felt like I've fulfilled um, like my big goals that I have in this new distance. So kind of like a new sport versus ITU racing and a very different lifestyle, different kind of training and less traveling. And so there's a lot of aspects of 70.3 that make it more um, appealing to me as, as I'm 30 now and don't want to necessarily be traveling around the world, racing world cups, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard to ever think about stopping and that's why I keep going and yeah. especially this time of year in the fall when we're trying to like renew sponsor contracts. So I think like, okay, I'm just gonna try as hard uh, as I can yeah. to like see if I can make money in this next year and if not I can fall back on other other options. But I mean it's <laughs> it's it's like almost addicting and it's um I feel like I'm still yeah. good at it, especially if I'm not injured. So um, Eric, we both are still enjoying it for the most part, and have big goals. We want to go to Topo next year and do well. So um, that's kind yeah. of what's keeping us in it, K- taking along. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, and I, I noticed one of your social media posts was um, along the lines of running toe to toe with Lucy Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think that's a she's a pretty good yardstick to say that you're you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, that was like, probably the coolest part of that race was running with Lucy. And I honestly didn't think it was gonna last long. I thought she was going to take off like four miles or whatever. So I was like, Talbot, get a picture of this. This is so cool. But um, (laughs) yeah, somehow I like did a stride when Lionel came past us because he came flying past us like at sprinting speed. And so naturally, I kind of like, picked up my cadence a little bit. And uh that's where I got a small gap on Lucy and um this was all like in the dark under the lights in the Daytona Speedway and I still had like four miles to run or something so still wasn't confident at that point that she wasn't gonna come back like she did in Kona (laughs) at the end oh
0: my gosh yeah
1: so uh, yeah it was like very shocking to to win that race against her and I think she's pretty solidly in her off season now like she took a big break after Kona and Looks like she got a dog. I'm just, like, a super fan, so I just follow her Instagram yeah. and know this um, through through social media. But um, I yeah. don't know if I could beat her on a day when she's, like, fully fit and in shape, but I'll take it for December.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, and that race, talk, just talk us through that race. It looked – it was so different to every other, every other race, uh, on the, I guess the long distance calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the highlights, did you enjoy the different format, the racing at the different time? Uh, just something really unique.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And actually in the morning of that, of our Saturday morning, the day of our race, we all were part of a relay team. So we did the swim and, each of the pros was like on a relay team. So handed off to an age grouper for the cycling and the running legs. So we actually all got to the yeah. venue pretty early in the morning and I, we all kind of saw it as a warm up swim and a chance to see the water. And, um, we weren't racing till 4.30 PM. So it was kind of nice to yeah. get a little hard effort in before the actual race. Um, and then we waited around all day, which was hard it reminded me of ITU racing when you race yeah. at 4.00 PM, but In the end, it was really cool because we were racing in the dark under the lights and the whole race was contained within the speedway in Daytona. So it's like a two and a half mile loop, I think. And there's a lake in the middle of it. So we swam, did 15 loops of the track on the bike and then two loops on the run. So a super unique format, especially racing with the men because we were, I was riding with Lucy and Lisa Norton and being passed by Lionel yeah. and I didn't see Eric cause he had a mechanical. So I was a little worried about him, but it was really cool. And it added a whole other kind of dimension to the race. And I, it wasn't boring at all just cause it was yeah. so much going on. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Right. And even just counting, um, how many laps you were doing 15 is a lot. Right.
1: I was worried about losing count, but they actually had a really good lap counting um screen. So ah. every time we wrote over this line, oh, cool. our, our name would come up with how many laps we had done. So they were super organized. It was like a oh, very cool that's very cool event. Um, yeah, something that you obviously don't ever get to do in a normal triathlon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like riding on a velodrome
0: Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah that's very, very cool. Um uh, so okay, so throughout this chat, um you've mentioned the fact that you're 30 quite a few times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it, it, it leads me to sort of believe that 30 is a big milestone for you. Like, is it something that you've, you know, you thought you would be somewhere by the time you were 30 or, you know, like, I don't know. It just keeps coming up in conversation.
1: (laughs) I know it's, well, I think it's, it sounds very much more like I'm an adult than when I was in my twenties. And to be honest, like (laughs) throughout my triathlon career, I've never thought of it as a job. I especially when I started and I was in my young 20s and um, had sponsors and was making a lot of prize money. And I still never considered it like my career. It was like, this is what I'm doing and I'll go to the Olympics and then I'll get a real job. But it's sort of morphed into becoming my career and um, needing to make money because I actually have expenses now and don't live at home anymore. And (laughs) so it just, yeah, I think turning 30 was significant in terms of feeling like an adult and that I have much more responsibilities now and want to have kids someday. And um, I don't think that I'm too old to be doing this. I don't think that I'm – I still feel very young, but um, it was just a bit of a milestone in terms of my stage of life, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Interesting. Interesting. I just, I'm just, i just trying to think about uh, when I turned 30, how I approached it. And I actually don't think it made any difference. I just kept <laughs> thinking like I was constantly the youngest person in the room. Yeah. But I still think that at 38 now, <laughs> which I have to remember that I'm interviewing people who are 15, 20 years younger than me sometimes <laughs> and I forget that i meant to be a responsible adult, especially now that I have a child.
1: <laughs> anyway, young at heart. Well, I still feel young as Why well. Not? I feel like I'm 20 sometimes, and uh, it's yep. you know, age is just a number. Except I do feel older in terms of, like, recovering from workouts and feeling sore in the mornings, and uh, I can't turn around and yeah. run right out of bed, for example, at, like, 7 a.m. I need to stretch and warm up and make sure that I'm, like mobile before I get off so yeah recovery is a bit harder the older you get I think
0: ha I'm I'm laughing particularly hard because I have been texting my Masua this morning Masua sounds like I've got someone on tap (laughs) I haven't seen them in ages and I I text them this morning saying I desperately need to see you I've hurt my neck and back and now you know the the conversation was essentially you know what stupid thing were you doing in terms of running riding or swimming and I was like no no just rolled over in bed and did my neck (laughs) so that's when you know you're old
1: Right. that's it that's (laughs) Starting to happen to Eric. He's like getting pain yeah. just from, yeah. Doesn't even know where it's from. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How old's Eric?
1: Uh, we're the same age. We're like a month apart. So he just turned thirty okay. as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So 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 old. So old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, man. Um. Now. Uh. Back to family. Are you? You just got the one sister?
1: Uh. No. I have a sister and a brother. They're both younger than me i'm the oldest and they're both like Ah. my brother still lives at home with my parents my sister lives in Banff, alberta which is the coolest place ever um so we all are very different lives right now but still very close and text every day and um have a pretty good relationship especially now that we're older we get along better i think (laughs) which is kind of funny yeah i (laughs)
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's a gap with siblings that there's, you know, a period in our lives where we don't mesh so well uh, and then we all kind of grow up a little bit and even though we might live very different lives, Mm -hmm. you connect, like you reconnect. So you really felt like that's kind of happened with you guys? Yeah,
1: I think when we were all living under the same roof and bickering and fighting over dumb things because we were little teenagers or whatever, I think that you definitely get over that phase when you're not living together anymore. And although we all have different interests, we're still very close and um, all those silly little things that we used to fight about are insignificant now. So we did get along when we lived together too, but it's just very different when you see them every day versus um, kind of appreciating that they're this like lifelong friend that you're going to always be super close with and they're not going anywhere no matter how far away they are. So we've all learned to appreciate that, I guess my brother is still yeah lifelong journey. yeah I guess so my brother is still living with my parents yeah. so whenever I visit home obviously yeah. I see him and don't see my sister quite as often but she's always keen to like visit Portland and San Diego and all these places that I train so she comes to visit
0: right <laughs> what does what does she do uh
1: she's a massage therapist actually which is handy for me ah, when okay
0: yeah <laughs> and your brother still living at home is does he study or
1: no he is actually he works at the university he's um I don't know exactly his role but he works from like 6 a.m to 2 every day like very very early hours and does like ground keeping and shoveling snow removal all the stuff that um to make the place look nice and he also works at the arena for the Edmonton Oilers and He's like the ice crew, so he gets to go to like all the Oilers games and be on the ice and watch the game from like yeah, right, right up close. So huge hockey fan.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wait, is it uh? Do you, what do you call those? Zamboni? Is that the name of the yeah, machine? It's the
1: name. Yeah. He doesn't drive okay. the zamboni, but yes. sort of on on the uh, timeouts or whatever in a hockey game. I don't know if Australians watch hockey, but um, he comes on the ice with like a shovel, basically to like shovel around the net and just. Smooth the ice out before the next round of game. I guess. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's um, it's certainly not massive here, uh, in Australia, but Australians love sport, so there's always uh, f- f- people following for sure. Like I get into the baseball and basketball. Oh, um, course. I've seen a hockey game when I was in New York, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you. Well, I know the Rangers were playing, couldn't tell you who they were playing or. <laughs> what the rules were, Uh, we were sitting next to lovely people who helped explain stuff, which was awesome. Um, But, yeah, we were those annoying (laughs) tourists Uh, asking the locals all about it. It's
1: pretty easy to understand versus, like, football or baseball or something with more complex rules, I feel like. It's pretty to watch. I like watching it. I'm I'm an Oilers fan being from Edmonton, so (laughs) –
0: Yeah, right. It is a very fun sport to watch. And because, I mean, well, I was going to say because it's so condensed in terms of space, but so is obviously basketball and baseball to a degree. Mm -hmm. But um, compared to Australian rules football, trying to explain those rules, do you know anything about AFL?
1: No, I don't.
0: No, because the rules are ridiculous. L- it, yeah, like we grew up with them because so obviously it, it's all uh,
1: very normal
0: and standard, yeah. but trying to explain a game of AFL to uh, outsiders is extremely it's really tough.
1: Hard. Oh, that's funny. No, no, Hawkins <laughs> just like try to get it in the other net. That's that's the gist of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like heap and shoulder, old mate, and get them out of the way pretty yeah, much.
1: You can, I think there's there's a lot of physical contact in hockey too, which seems to be allowed. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh well, so that was gonna ask, but how how do they get away with actually thumping each other and and I d I don't understand that side of things. Like they seem to just be able to do it and then get a slap on the wrists and two minutes in the sin bin and then it's
1: alright. And then they're back out.
0: out you come I again. think
1: it's I mean there there yeah. is some aggression just from the nature of the sport and being very competitive and being in a environment like that for these you know, male hockey players, but um it seems to be also like the spectators like it. And I don't know if that's, I think they're getting yeah. better now at controlling the outbreaks and the fights that happen on the ice. But historically it's been kind of like yeah. a show, you know, there was like a big guy on the team that was kind yeah. of a fighter and would be aggressive. And yeah, but in the end, yeah. after all these fights, I think both people get a penalty. So it becomes like four on four instead of five on five. And there's no like, real downside to yeah, the right. team. They're both punished, but, yeah, kind of a funny part of the sport, I guess.
0: Do, do women play ice hockey?
1: Yeah, they do, actually, um, especially, like, at the Olympic level. There's a national team in Canada for women's hockey. It's not the same kind of in the public eye like the NHL with, with men's hockey, but there certainly are yeah. lots of women hockey players. And at the varsity level, like at universities and things like that, there's, there's women hockey teams. So I was never – had any interest in start doing hockey my brother played hockey I think most like boys in Canada play hockey at some point in their lives but not as popular for yeah, women
0: right. yeah is it so is hockey I guess considered the national pastime or <laughs> in Canada is that like is that what it, is, is that a fair call or uh
1: I don't know if it's if it's a national pastime none of my family really was into playing it we all like watching it i would say it's a very popular thing to watch like almost everyone in canada is a yeah. fan to some degree of a hockey team um and obviously it's cold most of the year so it's pretty accessible to find an ice rink and and play hockey there's like intramural yeah. teams and things like that so possibly i guess that could be <laughs> one of our national <laughs> pastimes <laughs>
0: I was just curious because um in Australia the AFL um launched the women's AFL um a couple of years ago now and it's just been interesting watching um the the National League for Women sort of expand and the so obviously women have been playing AFL uh, sorry Australian rules football for for quite a few years, but it only gets to a certain level. Like it's not at the the top echelon of the sport Mm. uh, until they announced the the women's AFL a couple of years ago. And it's just, it's super interesting watching the uptake of it, how many more women are getting involved in the sport, um, the the media influence. Um, So, yeah, I was just curious because I guess, like you said, hockey tends to be an aggressive kind of sport. Mm you know so society sort of suggests that that's a men's domain um right. I'm not saying that's right but that's kind of what ends up happening so I was just yeah I was just a bit curious about that side of things
1: yeah it's um I mean it's very different than sports like triathlon or track and field or tennis where it's very equal mm-hmm. on the men and women's side um it's like football you know it's very dominant by mm-hmm. on the man, on the men's side and that's what all everyone watches on TV. So I guess that's kind of the stereotype that hockey has and not that women can't get involved in it, but it's definitely not, not as common. I think soccer is more, um, the direction the women go, especially in Canada, we have a really good women's soccer team. so that's Ah, more You
0: call it soccer.
1: We call it soccer. Yeah. You call it football, right? No, no, no.
0: We call it, we call it soccer.
1: Oh, you do. Um,
0: yeah, but you, uh, well the u k well u k europe they call it football um yes, but yeah okay. we we call it, but yeah, I guess because we've got our own form of football and as do you guys um um yeah. so hey, this might sound like a really stupid question asking a professional triathlete this particular question, but are you a very competitive person
1: i uh- Yes, I would say definitely I am. <laughs> right, so off- in in all aspects of life, not just not just in yeah. uh, racing, but yeah, in other, in in all areas of of everything, which is like hard to live with. I mean, when I grew up, I was <laughs> I I was probably hard to live with as a kid, but it's in my genes a little bit. Both my parents are competitive, and my my siblings are less competitive, and I think that's why they never really stuck with competitive sport um yeah but yeah i am (laughs) which Um, i think it's important as a triathlete obviously but
0: yep but you don't necessarily so some people are very competitive um here in australia we call it like that white line fever so once you cross that you know the white line which is the boundary or or whatever it is it's Mm -hmm. game on super competitive but then they can switch it off um it sounds like you're you're the nightmare sister or friend who when we get a board game out or a deck of cards, people don't I want to, to play win. you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can moderate it and I am not that brutal. I think the, the trait that is more defined in myself is that I like things to go my way all the time. So <laughs> not necessarily competitiveness, but – I have this like way that I want something to happen, and it's going to happen that way. That's kind of my attitude, which is which is hard to live with, also. But in terms of like the competitiveness, I can dial that back. Um, yeah, in family games and things like that.
0: What 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 makes you say that that is your I guess one of your major defining traits? Did someone have to point that out to you, or did you figure that out all by yourself?
1: Uh, Eric sort of brought it to my attention. <laughs> more than anyone else has because i'll always ask him what what he wants to do or what what should we do in the morning what training sessions should we start with but in the back of my mind i know what i want to do already so he'll give his opinion if it lines up with what i want to do i'll be like great that's awesome and if it doesn't i'll very quickly voice my opinion on how it should be so <laughs> he gets really notified he's like why do you even ask me if we're just going to do it your way but um I like to know what he wants to do to see if it if it lines up with what I want to do. So I'm
0: working
1: on it. I'm working on it. But it's, yeah, definitely...
0: it's a token gesture is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so growing up uh, being the eldest, do you think that kind of trait was ingrained in you because you were the eldest and things were always your way until these other brats came and ruined the party? Is that, you know, <laughs> the psychology of it all?
1: yeah I think like being the oldest sibling you have to have a bit of a sense of entitlement like I should get the nicest things the newest things the best things whatever it should it should go my way because I'm the oldest which is completely like not a rational way of thinking but um I don't think I'm the only person that, that feels that way who's the oldest um
0: I don't think so know. at all
1: <laughs> but I think you're right it is kind of like um probably ingrained in me from being the oldest um out of
0: a group of three kids, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, so I'm a group of three, um, and I think when we were younger, it started off with my elder, oldest brother feeling the same way. But however, it worked that the youngest one, because I'm in the middle, mm-hmm. everything got flipped around, and it was always his way. And my brother had to, my older brother had to take a back seat. So interesting, <laughs> but I, like I, I'm sure that my older brother still. Sort of thinks that things should have been his way, but he just right. didn't have a choice in the end.
1: <laughs> right. It, de- it depends on the personalities, like who's the most dominant and outgoing yeah. and consistent.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so, l- last, just last little thing about si- siblings and whatnot. Um. And then mm. I'll let you go because uh, this has been going for over an hour and I'm the worst at keeping time. Um. <laughs> well, I just like having a chat and it is like just chatting oh, with I a mate. Like so, that's, that's what happens.
1: No, it's yeah. so enjoyable. Time's flying. I had no idea we were talking for an hour, so that's funny. <laughs> um,
0: well, there you go. Um,
1: no
0: <laughs> I've actually forgotten the question I was going to ask now. I thought it, was, because about we si- just you said it was about siblings. Does that ring a bell? Um, no, I got nothing. It's completely <laughs> gone. Right, that's, that's what okay. happens. <laughs> This is. I'm just going to warn you. You did say that one day, eventually, you want to have kids, and this is what happens. Your brain starts to become fried, and it's like really heavily fried when you're pregnant and when the kid first arrives. And yeah. now it's kind of more muted rather than fried. Okay, like, I, I just can't. <laughs> see, you know. Um. So yeah. uh, okay. So f- from a f- um a family of three children, how many kids do you want eventually? Do you reckon?
1: Um. Probably two. I think that's a good number. Um, yeah. I, it's uh, another reason that why it was so crazy to turn 30 is because I suddenly had this switch where I just want a baby so badly. And every time I see a baby, I'm reminded that I want a baby because they're so, <laughs> so cute. Oh, so I wow.
0: Never,
1: I like never really had that, um, feeling before. And maybe part of it is just like having Eric in my life and having it actually be a yeah. realistic possibility. But, um, Yeah, two would be the perfect number, I think. I think that's what Eric says too. He wants to get a dog first and I'm fully on board with that. I think that's a good first step to parenthood. But uh, obviously our lifestyle is a little bit all over the place in terms of traveling, so it gets a bit tricky. But um, maybe now that we got new carpets, we're gonna stay here longer and we can get a dog.
0: I love it. This conversation has gone full circle because we're We're back to talking about the carpet.
1: Back to the carpets.
0: (laughs) Wait, but before you go, I need to to know what kind (laughs) of dog will you get?
1: Uh, Well, my parents have Airedale Terriers and so I'm very biased towards loving Airedales. I think I might consider getting a Welsh Terrier, which is like kind of a mini version of an Airedale. It has the same pattern and the same colors but they're just smaller so um, I love them they're kind of like wiry haired and not the cutest dog ever but they're an acquired taste and they don't shed um, and Ah. it'd be fairly easy to travel with the the little Welsh terriers so some kind of a terrier or you know something that's not shedding but not a tiny little dog
0: yeah, Ooh. I I think one of my friends is, I think it, it's a Welsh terrier whose name is Frankie, which is.
1: Oh, that's daughter's name. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ah. that's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: that was going to be my next question. Like when you're talking about looking at, you know, cute kids, you, you've obviously seen photos of Frankie, right?
1: Yes, I have. And she's adorable. Yeah. She's <laughs> it's like, yeah, seeing pictures of Frankie's, meeting Izzy, Rennie's daughter. Um a couple – one of our yeah. friends, Ann, Curtis Feltmore, and his girlfriend just had a baby named Walter. So it's like – it feels like a lot of people are having these adorable babies. and <laughs> I want one but, too. But if, I totally recognize how much work it is and how much it changes your life. So, that, They yeah, are a bit of a game changer. Change the they are a game changer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, it, I mean, you don't need to s- stop your life completely, but it, there's certain things that you need to consider – Uh, once having a child that you learn on the spot but it's okay
1: for sure yeah and you can still race with a baby I mean there's you have to have support and help but lots of people are doing it right
0: (laughs) well and doing it exceptionally well and you nailed it Mm -hmm. um that it comes down to to help and it is and I hate a cliche but it's a cliche for a reason it absolutely takes a village
1: right? yeah
0: that's what i've that's what i've seen
1: like i met meredith kessler's little baby this weekend and her husband was there looking after max while she was racing so it would be hard for eric and i both to be competing and racing um at the same time yeah we have a baby but we'll see there's yeah yeah we live close you've got plenty of time got plenty of time yeah
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, All right, I'm going to have to love you and leave you because speaking of uh, pressureless little bundles, my little rat bag has got this new trick where she wakes up and then starts playing in the curtains
1: um, and pulling
0: them down. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to have to get going in a second uh, because she's waking up from her nap. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we could have kept chatting, um, but it was so, so great to catch up with you finally it's been a while since we chatted like i said at the start um Mm -hmm. but thank you for Uh, making the time and um good luck with everything it's really really awesome to see uh someone who has had a massive roller coaster of a triathlon career stick at it um because i imagine many many times it would have um i guess the easier option would have been to just stop but you have stuck it out and that is very very impressive
1: well thank you you're right there's been a lot of ups and downs but whenever I have a high like the last couple weekends it it kind of makes you forget about the hard times a little bit which is dangerous because I might this for another two decades but um yeah yeah, I, I really do love the sport and I'm a I'm a big fan of the sport I'm not only a an athlete but i follow it very closely and i really respect all the people i race against and so it was awesome to talk to you again i um yeah i really enjoyed it that was fun to catch up
0: no well thank you and we won't make it so long next time
1: (laughs) no it's okay that went by super fast i'll let you go rescue frankie though
0: Thanks for tuning in, hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment and don't forget if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness.